The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I am your gracious host, Bo McMillan, and with me today are Brad Soboleski and Hannah Karen, two emergency medicine doctors. And we're going to be talking about when to visit the emergency department. Brad, Hannah, how are y'all doing? Doing great. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So you all see a lot in the emergency department, probably a lot of, you know, important things, reason to be there, but also probably some things that maybe don't need uh, an emergency department visit. And we're going to spend a little bit of time today sifting through that and hopefully giving parents and families some good tips on what to do. So let's start off with the most important thing. I know whenever I call my doctor's office, my PCP, whatever, the first thing that answering line says is, if this is an emergency, call 911, right? So what is a situation that is so serious that parents should just call 911? Forget driving into the ED, forget everything else. What would warrant an immediate 911 call and how do parents understand them? So we are taught from the very beginning of medical training, like day one, that you have to assess you know, airway, breathing, circulation, and how alert the patient is for everybody that you meet, right? Um, humans need oxygen and something is interfering with their ability to get oxygen into the lungs and therefore the bloodstream, it's going to be very serious. So you could have someone who isn't breathing well because they have a severe asthma exacerbation. Um, they have a compromise to their circulation. They have rapid blood loss from a, a large wound. Or there's a problem with the brain, you know, an ongoing seizure or severe head trauma. Um, so a child who has very labored breathing, appears pale, is difficult to arouse, who's unconscious, this is someone who needs immediate attention. So you need to stay with the child and activate emergency services immediately by calling 911. A child who is unconscious and not breathing should get CPR. Right? And Honestly, we know that having a, a really sick child is incredibly scary. And if you are unsure if your child is okay or not, and if you are unable to safely transport them to the emergency department, this is another reason to call 911. But if your child is alert and breathing comfortably, even if the event was scary, like a fainting episode, which we see pretty frequently, it's okay at that point to call your primary doctor for advice. Okay. So any type of breathing issue, potential brain issue, severe bleeding, immediate 911 call. Right? Yeah. If your child is not alert enough to give you information about how they are feeling, mm -hmm. or if you are worried that they could get worse very quickly, that's what 911 is there for. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. in, in the area, we have many, many dedicated pre-hospital providers that are able to provide help to your child. So, so then let's transition into what you had mentioned earlier about actually taking your child to the ED yourself. What are some injuries or illnesses that would, let's say, I mean, still emergent, but would re require that immediate trip to the ED where you could bring them yourself? How, how long do you have? Because, I mean, the, the list is really long, but Hannah, why don't you go over an abbreviated list of some of the more common reasons why you know, a parent and their child might seek care in our ED? Yeah, first and foremost, as with 911, if you're considering going to the emergency department or calling 911 at all, just do it. Mm -hmm. um, it's always better to be safe than sorry. 
like Brad mentioned, there's a long list of things we commonly see in the emergency department, and we can go through quickly the most common and obvious ones. So first, a severe allergic reaction. If you think your child has been exposed to or eaten something that they might be allergic to, especially if they have wheezing, difficulty breathing, any vomiting or diarrhea, if you have access to an EpiPen, go ahead and give that ASAP. Again, if you're thinking about it, just do it and then take your child to the emergency department. We also know there's a lot of children in our area with asthma. So if they're having a severe asthma attack, they should come see us. That would be labored breathing, pale or blue skin color. They can only speak one or a couple words at a time. They're tired, hard to arouse. They might have been getting albuterol, but it doesn't seem to be helping. That's that uh, inhaler that they might have at home. Mm -hmm. And then there's more obvious ones, right? So any child that has a bleeding wound that isn't stopping on its own, any broken limb, like an arm or a leg, especially if they're in a lot of pain or there's a big cut over the top of it, a child with a severe burn, any child who has fainted, even if they've re regained consciousness. Similarly, a child who has had a seizure that's not their normal, hmm. even if they have come back to themselves, they should come be seen in the emergency department. Again, a head injury, even if they are now back to themselves, should be seen in the emergency department. Any child who has had an accidental or intentional ingestion of a medicine that they shouldn't have gotten or any other poisonous substance, that's a situation where you can go ahead and call poison control so that they can advise you further, but you're probably going to bring that child to the emergency department. And they would direct that, right? They would probably mm -hmm. tell you to Absolutely. Yeah. They have a list of um, resources that they can use to determine who needs to come in to be seen. And that number is 1-800-222-1222. Like, put it on your fridge. Yeah, absolutely. Put it in your phone. You should, you should have this, like, grandma's number. I that's so such a good idea to just put that in your phone under poison control and you know what to type in in that moment, right? Because yes. we're not always thinking clearly in these moments. I will say, as a parent, I have Googled Ohio poison control before and the number comes right up, it directs you right to where you need to go and they're extremely helpful. Nice. The only other things I would mention here in our common list of things that should go to the emergency department would be a patient with severe abdominal pain, a patient with severe testicular pain, or any child who has swallowed an object, especially if they're having vomiting, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, should come in and see us. That's a heck of a list, Hannah. You know what you didn't mention? Go ahead. Tell me. Fever. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good one. Yes. We see a lot of patients with fever, and almost every child I've ever met has had a fever in their life. So the first thing I'll say about fevers is they're very common. They... What, what are we talking about with like a range? Like what for a child, yeah. what would be a, a temperature range for a fever? That's a great question. So for us, a fever is 100.4 or higher in Fahrenheit. And for a child under two, that ideally is a temperature that you're measuring rectally in their bottom. And for an older child, ideally in their mouth under their tongue. So fevers are very common. Any kid with a cold, strep throat, ear infection, pneumonia, anything like that will have a fever. They can be very scary as a parent, first of all, because kids get much higher fevers than adults do. You can see 103s, 104s pretty commonly. And also, kids look like they feel very yucky when they have a fever. They might be extra sleepy. They might be breathing a little faster than their normal. They might not want to be drinking fluids when they have a fever. And so that can be scary. The first thing I'll say is you can get an appropriate dose of acetaminophen or ibuprofen from your pediatrician based on your child's weight. That can help bring the fever down. It is not treating the underlying infection, however. So as that medicine wears away in four or six hours, 
we expect this, the fever to come back up. That's not surprising to us, mm-hmm. but it does mean that it has, has to be treated again if your child is not feeling well. Yeah. I would say the fever can make your child look really yucky. If you treat their fever and they're looking better, they're staying hydrated, they're not having severe difficulties in breathing, that can probably be taken care of either at home or with your pediatrician or even going to an urgent care to be evaluated. Um, We will touch on urgent care in a bit. That's a really good call out. Excellent. Um, The other thing I will just briefly mention about fever, any newborn under two months of age who has a fever, that is a totally different situation. If you call your pediatrician about that, they will send you to the emergency department. Since those little babies can't protect themselves as easily, we need to see them in the emergency department. Yeah, that's a really good point about infants and young babies. Yeah. And there's many families in our community as well that have children with a, a compromised immune system. So this is a child who has cancer or is taking steroids on a daily basis or certain drugs that modify the immune system for diseases like Crohn's disease. Um they need to be seen because fever could be a sign of a more serious infection in the blood um, or a child that has what we call a central venous line. And many parents deal with uh, children that have ports or permanent IV access through a large vein in their torso. Um, Those children are high risk for bloodstream infections as well. And so any child with that situation should go to the emergency department as well. In any of those circumstances, you want to contact your child's medical team, you know, their main provider, and prepare for a trip to the emergency department. I want to hit really briefly on, I know, a topic that's really important in this area and and honestly just really across the nation, but mental health. We know that we see children in our emergency department with behavioral and mental health issues. When do parents know the right time to bring their child in for something related to that? I think if you have a situation where a child or a teenager has abrupt changes in their mental status, they're severely agitated or combative, that needs to go to the emergency department. Mm -hmm. If you feel unsafe getting them to the ED, do not attempt to transport them on your own. Call emergency medical services or even the police. The main goal is to get that child to a place where they can be safe and cared for. Uh, A child who has attempted suicide or is having suicidal thoughts with or without a plan should also be evaluated in the emergency department. Um, Children who are depressed or anxious but not suicidal can be seen by their primary care team um, and or their mental health provider. That's I think that's such good advice, especially on the safety of actually transporting them there and when you know knowing when to do that yourself or when to gain assistance with that. So those are some you know, situations where you want to either call 911 or, or go to the emergency department. But when, if you're a parent and you're in a situation where your child is in some kind of distress, that can be a high time of anxiety and you may not always be thinking straight. So I want to talk about what to do in those moments, those initial moments. What, what's a good resource that parents, that families have to, to decide, you know, Should they be going to the ED? Should they just be going to their pediatrician in those moments where they're scared or worried? Mm -hmm. Who can they turn to? Yeah. I, you know, when you, you, when you sign up to be a parent, you know, you're like, ah, they're probably going to need stitches at some point, or maybe they'll break a bone. There's certain things that you almost accept are going to happen as a part of parenting. Um, But there are other things that you can't expect. And you almost in those situations have to act on instinct. So trust those instincts. You know your child best. If you are scared or worried about how they're doing and you feel that the appropriate decision is to go to the emergency department, 
or to activate emergency medical services, then that's the appropriate decision. But that doesn't mean that, especially if your child is dealing with a chronic disease like asthma, that you can't have a plan ahead of time. So I think asthma is a perfect example. So many families will have an asthma action plan. You know, if their child is doing well, if they're somewhat ill, or if they're very ill, there will be a different treatment plan and follow-up plan uh, decided between you and your medical team. I think it's always okay for a parent to call their primary care provider and ask their advice. They've been doing this for a long time and they know you and your child well, and they can help you make a decision. And I think reviewing resources of what should go to the ED, what should go to urgent care, what might need emergency medical services activated, review that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Have it available in the home. If you have someone else watching your child like grandma, have that list available. Really think about it in the same way that you would think about um, how to evacuate your home if there was a fire. Yeah. So outside of, you know, the blood loss, difficulties breathing, injuries to the brain, you know, some, some of these other things we've talked about, if you're unsure, a pediatrician is a great resource. Absolutely. Yeah, they can provide calm advice and really direct you where to go next based on the needs of you and your child. I want to stay on the topic of the emergency department, but we've mentioned urgent care several times. And urgent care is also a critical service that's offered. Um, can you briefly explain what is urgent care and what are some common injuries and illnesses that you know, maybe you two see in the emergency department that may be better fit for urgent care? Yeah, so urgent cares have really expanded in both their scope and what they offer, especially over the last couple of decades. And they're part of the continuum of care between primary care offices and emergency departments. Uh, they provide services related to minor illness and injury that need to be taken care of, but urgently, you know, hence the name. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, but aren't necessarily life-threatening um, and many times aren't related to ongoing health maintenance or chronic care. Mm -hmm. And so there's many, many options for urgent care um, in a lot of parts of the country, including in the tri-state area here. Um, we at Cincinnati Children's have several urgent cares, and we know that there are retail urgent cares around. Um, the scope of care is a little bit different depending on where you go, but there's a lot of commonalities. As I you know, might say from back in math class in grade school, the Venn diagrams overlap quite a bit. Um, and the list of things that you could get seen at an urgent care is really, really long. Um, and some procedures that cannot be performed in a primary care doctor's office can also be performed in an urgent care, you know, like minor wounds or lacerations. You know, these are wounds that require only a few sutures, need tissue adhesive or staples, which are really great for scalp lacerations. Those can be seen in the urgent care. In contrast to a child with an abscess or boil, um, one that requires incision and drainage, um, complex lacerations, those are procedures that are better suited for an emergency department. So a lot of children will have you know, injuries to their limbs, sprains and strains and even broken bones, right? These can be managed in urgent care. Urgent care is capable of doing splinting and immobilization of minor injuries and fractures. Even a broken collarbone can be seen in the urgent care. And urgent cares have access to x-rays that your primary care doctor might not have in their office. Uh, minor burns can be cared for at home via the primary care doctor or in urgent care. I mean, rashes are some of the most vexing problems in children. 
a well-appearing child with a rash, you know, not anaphylaxis that Hannah alluded to earlier. Um, that certainly is appropriate for urgent care. And yeah, cough, cold, sore throat, ear pain, uh, mild urinary pain and concern for urinary tract infection. That can be seen at urgent care. And ultimately, as we mentioned earlier, just have a, a list or a reference list available, especially if there's other folks that help provide care for your child as to which locations might be appropriate and what your preferred urgent care, emergency department, and the numbers of your primary care physician are. Something good to just keep on your refrigerator or in your phone. You you had mentioned being able to care for some of these things at home in conjunction with your, your pediatrician or urgent care. There's also a virtual urgent care option. Can we talk just very briefly about that and how parents can leverage that? Yeah, modern technology is amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And a virtual urgent care or a virtual visit which can also be done with a child's primary care doctor. This involves making a secure video call, like FaceTime, but in a manner that protects your child's sensitive healthcare information with a doctor, nurse practitioner, or other healthcare provider. And so accessing it is relatively easy. All you need to have is a device and access to an internet connection. These on-demand video visits are available 24-7 from the comfort of your own home. Um, Cincy Kids Health Connect is the service that we offer. Um, it's available as an app, and it's also accessible via desktop devices like your laptop or home computer. You have a virtual urgent care visit for minor injuries and illnesses, you know, like a rash or pink eye, because like every kid gets pink eye all the time, um, and they share it with their brothers because they love them very much. Um, and that care is provided by people who are trained to provide services via virtual urgent care. So you don't need an appointment for these. Wait times are often very short. To access our urgent care, you need to be located in Ohio, Kentucky, or Indiana at the time of the visit. So you can't be on like a fancy trip to Miami Beach and access Cincinnati Children's Urgent Care virtually. Um, video visits are not meant for life-threatening situations. Again, for these types of problems, you need an in-person evaluation at an emergency department. Um, in general, urgent care in the virtual environment can handle a lot of things. Uh, we don't recommend it for an ear infection unless you have a very specific device called the TitoCare device. Um, but if your child has like swimmer's ear, ear drainage, we can handle that. Um, urgent care in the virtual environment is not a place to get orders for a blood test. Mm -hmm. It's not a pathway to get referrals to a subspecialist. Virtual urgent care is not for mental health emergencies. Mm, that's big, yeah. Yeah. And if you think that your child has an illness that might require antibiotics like strep throat, you can certainly be seen by virtual urgent care, but there will need to be a confirmatory test done, like a strep swab of the throat. And I think, you know, you can have a list of all of these things for when they come up in life. But if you're not calling 911 or obviously going to the emergency department, the road to any of this, urgent care, virtual urgent care, your pediatrician, can all start with a call to your pediatrician and they can help you decide. We don't expect parents to have all of these lists just memorized in their heads for any time anything goes wrong with their child. We just want to make sure that if you are very concerned about them, they come to the emergency department. And if you're somewhat concerned about them, someone is helping you get to the right place. I think that is such good advice. Again, you get into that moment where something's happening with your kid, you, you, your senses are heightened, right? You, you could have some extra emotion. You're not always thinking clearly. So to have that resource of your pediatrician in your back pocket to answer those questions and guide you, I think is so critical as a parent. 
So let's let's round out this episode, popping back to the emergency department real fast again. You two see so much on a daily basis. I can only imagine. Are there any misunderstandings about the emergency department or the care that you provide that you think would be interesting? I think our emergency departments, both at the Burnett or main location and the Liberty location, um, are unique in that the urgent care and the emergency department are physically located in the same facility. So if you come to the main desk of either, we can offer you advice as to whether the ED or urgent care is right for your child. But ultimately, it's your choice as a parent, right? You can always select where to go based on your child's need. I mean, the ED is also a big and busy place where we see a wide array of problems. Some are stable. Some are very serious. Um, There may be very ill children that will be in the same waiting area as your child, And ultimately, we are trained to triage. And that word triage means we assess who is sickest and who needs to be seen first. So it is quite possible and highly likely, actually, that a family that arrives after you will be seen before you and your child if we assess that child's needs to be evaluated quickly. And many times the the wait times are long. And so we do post that information online. And this is where calling the primary care provider can be helpful. You know, do we need to be seen tonight for this or can it wait to the morning? And we just ask you to please be patient. We want to help you and your child, but we have to do so with all the available resources and personnel that we have. Um, if something changes while you're waiting, let us know. There is no limit to the number of times that we can reassess your child. Um, and if you come to the ED, you know, I think a common misconception is that your child will not necessarily be seen by a subspecialist. The main providers that are going to see your child in the emergency department are the doctors, nurse practitioners, and other members of the healthcare team that work there. Sometimes if your child is already being followed by a specialist like cardiology or has had a recent procedure or needs a surgery, you know, like an orthopedist or an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, um, the ED providers will consult or contact those healthcare providers. Um, If you're followed by a subspecialist and your child has a problem related to that condition, call them and ask for advice, and they may advise you to come to the emergency department. Mm -hmm. But again, that specialist won't be there for you. We are providing care for them and collaborating with that specialist. Mm -hmm. Remember, that healthcare provider trusts us to provide care to you and your child and to make medical decisions. And I would think of those subspecialists that your child might follow with as different flavors of pediatrician, right? They're outpatient providers. So if they are worried about a condition and want you to be seen in the emergency department, it's for us to then determine if there's something big, bad, and scary that needs to be dealt with right now. And if not, that's when those subspecialists would see you as an outpatient the next day or a few days later and not necessarily see you in the emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. And, and right here, yeah, sometimes, you know, your, your doctor or your healthcare provider might recommend a particular test or treatment. You know, if, if you say my child has bad belly pain and they come to the emergency department, but then that belly pain is resolved, well, maybe just a history and physical examination is enough to determine that your child does not have appendicitis. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite possible that tests or treatments that were recommended to you over the phone and phone medicine is hard. It's really, really hard. You know, those tests or treatments might be different than what we perform and that's okay. You know, our job is to deal with acute illness and injury, and we absolutely share your primary care team's goal of helping keep your child healthy in the long run. 
So when you encounter this situation where what you talked about over the phone is a little bit different than what happens in the ED, make sure that we communicate why we are doing what we're doing and you understand why our recommendations have changed or are different. I think that's really helpful. Um, honestly, everything you've said has been has been really helpful. <laughs> I, I think this is super practical, great, great tips for families, um, especially knowing when to react in a, you know, maybe high tension situation. Any final thoughts from you two on this topic? So I, I mentioned this a few times, but I think my biggest piece of advice is that number one, you know your child better than everyone else. And so if you're concerned about something, please tell us. There's only so much we can learn by looking at your child. We have to hear from you too, because you're the one watching them at home. And then on the other hand of that, work with the team as a team. Um, we have lots of medical knowledge and you have lots of knowledge about your child. So the more we can work together, the faster and easier it will be to get to an answer in some sort of uh, management. Yeah. And that's a fantastic point. In the business, we call that shared decision-making, right? So it is a it is a collaboration with the healthcare provider in the ED or urgent care and the patient and family on making decisions about a, a treatment plan and what tests to order and those sorts of things. And really make sure that we explain why we're getting a test, why we're giving a treatment, what's next. Ask questions. There might be something that you're worried about that you are hesitant or afraid to ask or that you think of later. But seriously, our most important job is to make sure that you are well informed about the treatments and tests that we're ordering for your child, what we're thinking is going on, what we're thinking is not going on, and what to do next. And again, we've said it time and again, you know your child best, and we are here to help you. That's so good. You know your child best. Lean on the resources that we have. Lean on your pediatrician. Brad, Hannah, thank you so much for being here uh, and just getting really practical with us. I, I hope this helps parents know what to do. Again, when they, uh, hopefully they don't encounter these situations, but we know how life works. We know <laughs> how kids work. Um, so I think this will be really valuable to them. Thank you, and, and uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for Th having us. Yeah, thank you. And, and I'll say it time and again to, to families. Um, we hope we actually don't see you in the emergency department, but we are there if you need us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Young and Healthy Podcast. This episode was recorded on May 18th, 2023. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco, and this episode was produced by Kayla McNeil and Symphony Fair Harris. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.